Good morning. Today we are starting a new five-part series on Proverbs, and my name is Sandy Laws, and before we begin, let's pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So my husband, Rich, and I have three kids, Calvin, who lives here in Denver, Perry, who's married to Don and lives in Huntsville, Alabama, with our two grandchildren, and our daughter, Chloe, who lives in L.A. And I can tell you that for all the years we were raising the kids, we freely dispensed advice to them, pretty much on a continual basis, all the time. And as part of our advice giving, we would use English proverbs. Proverbs are short, compact statements that express truths about human behavior. So we use many proverbs with our kids. For example, when it came to matters of money, when they were little, we started with the proverb, a penny saved is a penny earned. And that, that makes sense. It's very simple. They can understand the idea behind it is save your money. But, of course, kids cost a lot of money, and basically from the moment they're born until now, we spend a lot of money on them. And sometimes when we were shopping for stuff for them, we would choose maybe not the brand item, but something kind of like it, and they would be disappointed, and we would throw out the proverb, beggars can't be choosers. And, you know, that's true, too. They pretty much were beggars, so... Um, <laughs> And sometimes they would spend their money unwisely, and we didn't really like that, or they would want us to spend more money on them than we wanted to, and then we would pull out the ultimate one, money doesn't grow on trees. That's also very true, and there's no comeback from that one. I mean, it's just a fact. When it came to relationships, we would say, all is fair in love and war. I'm not exactly sure why, because I don't totally agree with that. Um, but we would say it. I would say absence makes the heart grow fonder. My daughter Chloe just said to me the other day, actually, you said abstinence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> right, that's good, isn't it? You should use it. Um, and I would say opposites attract, and if you know Rich and I, you know that is totally true. Um, although at this point in our marriage, after 26 years, we order exactly the same thing whenever we go out to eat, so. <laughs> So when it came to their general behavior, we would say honesty is the best policy. Yeah, that's a workhorse one. You can use that all the time. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This is very important with teenage boys. You know what I'm talking about. That's not actually in the Bible, but it's important. And then do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. That actually is in the Bible, in Matthew. Now some... Proverbs are more difficult to understand, like close but no cigar. We'd say that a lot. And I really didn't even know what it meant, so I had to look it up. And it turns out, back in the day when they would have fairs, county fairs, if you won the game, they would give you a cigar. So that's where that one comes from. Uh, another one is make hay while the sun shines. And I'm pretty sure my kids who were raised in Denver have no idea what it takes to make hay or raise hay. Uh, so that one kind of escaped their understanding. Uh, and also the one that I use a lot, which is you can't have your cake and eat it too. 
was confusing to me because I do have my cake and I eat it too. <laughs> so I don't understand it. If anybody wants to explain it to me, please do. Some proverbs come from literature. C.S. Lewis said, you are never too old to set another goal or dream another dream. I, I know that's definitely true. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote, not all who wander are lost. And J.K. Rowling wrote, where there's a wand, there's a way. So what proverbs did you hear growing up? I'm sure some are crossing your mind right now. It might be worth talking about it on your way home. Which ones did your parents say to you? For thousands of years, people have created and passed down proverbs, maxims, and idioms that really capture the general truths about that culture. And the difference between those proverbs and the proverbs found in the Bible is one thing. Proverbs in the Bible contain the wisdom of God. The proverbs in the Old Testament are specifically connected to God's wisdom, and that's what makes them special and unique. As followers of Jesus Christ, we should read the book of Proverbs to gain God's wisdom. Wisdom is both an attribute of God, and it also comes from God. So what is God's wisdom? Eugene Peterson says this about wisdom. Wisdom has to do with becoming skillful and honoring our parents and raising our children handling our money and conducting our sexual lives, going to work and exercising leadership, using words well and treating friends kindly, eating and drinking healthily, cultivating emotions within ourselves and attitude towards others that make peace. Threaded through all of these items is the insistence that the way we think of and respond to God is the most practical thing we do. The book of Proverbs deals with the practical matters of life. Love, friendship, money, it's the day-to-day -day stuff of life. The Proverbs in the Old Testament were written by several authors, but are most closely linked to King Solomon, who lived in the 10th century BC, and he ruled the United Kingdom of Israel, so 3,000 years ago. Solomon was the third king of Israel after Saul and David. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. Last week, Susie was talking about genealogy as it related to Ruth. In Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, David and Bathsheba are referred to this way. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You notice that Bathsheba is not even referred to by her name, even though Ruth and Rahab are. Well, during his 40-year reign, Solomon accomplished many, many things. He was a masterful administrator, organizing the government of Israel. He was a master builder. He built the first temple in Jerusalem, and the presence of God resided there. He was a wise and fair judge. His leadership led to a time of unparalleled peace and prosperity in the United Kingdom of Israel. But he was also just a man with imperfections, and we'll talk more about those in a minute. At the beginning of his reign, Solomon was totally committed to the Lord, and God was pleased with that. So God visited Solomon in a dream 
and asked him to make a request. And this was Solomon's response. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God responded to Solomon's request. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you haven't asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me, and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Notice that God gave Solomon what he asked for and more. Have you ever asked for something from God and he answers your prayer and gives you even more than you asked for? Our God is a generous God. He did answer Solomon's prayer, but with a condition that Solomon remain obedient to him. The Bible tells us that Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. The ones in the Old Testament are those that were written down and compiled as part of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs were written to give wisdom to the young and to make the wise even wiser. These Proverbs would have been taught to young boys between the ages of 10 and 14. So aside from learning the Torah, they were taught these Proverbs as advice for day-to-day -day living. Now as a literary device, Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman. By doing this, he makes the case about how desirable it is to gain God's wisdom. Blessed are those who find wisdom, for those who gain understanding for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who will hold her fast will be blessed. So when you seek God's wisdom, you are blessed. God blesses you when you turn to him for wisdom. And your life is enriched in ways you can't even measure. Look at the words he uses to describe the value of God's wisdom. It's gain. It's profitable. It's better returns. It's precious. God's wisdom is worth so much more than money. She holds two things that we really value, long life, riches, and honor. God's wisdom leads to a beautiful, peaceful life. 
God's wisdom is the tree of life. Now, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, but he wasn't perfect. As Susie mentioned last week, none of us are. And there has never been a perfect king or ruler on this earth except one, Jesus Christ. And there never will be until Jesus Christ returns again. Now, unfortunately for Solomon, he did not remain committed to the Lord throughout his life. Throughout his 40-year reign, he used diplomacy to maintain peace and national security and to grow the kingdom. So in the ancient world, treaties between nations were typically sealed by marriage between the royal houses. The Bible tells us that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Right. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Solomon cared for his foreign wives however they came to him. But rather than expecting them to worship the Lord, he built for them shrines so that they could worship their own gods. And in time, these women moved Solomon to worship with them. And in this way, Solomon divided, uh, fell into idolatry, and he turned away from the Lord God of Israel. And because of his idolatry, God divided the kingdom of Israel into two, after Solomon's death. So Solomon's experience warns us not to grow lax in our commitment to the Lord. Our first allegiance must always be to God. Don't turn away from God's wisdom, especially in matters of day-to-day -day life. So how do we get wisdom from God? Well, you seek God's wisdom on a continual basis in two ways, by reading God's words in the Bible and by asking God for wisdom on a continual basis. In the New Testament, James, the brother of Jesus, writes about there being two kinds of wisdom. Let's see. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Wisdom, where it comes from, and its characteristics are the key points of this passage. James wants us to know that there are two options when it comes to seeking wisdom. We can ask for it from God, or we can rely on our own wisdom without God. James says that when we ask God for wisdom, he gives it to us freely. Wisdom from God produces the best results because it's pure. Pure wisdom is single-minded and focused on God only. When we source our 
wisdom from God, we are peaceful, knowing that we are in a right relationship with God. We are gentle, treating others with love, and willing to submit to keep the peace. Mercy fills our heart and guides our thinking, producing good fruits. You see, wisdom is not a once-for-all gift like the Holy Spirit. We can source God's wisdom through his words in the Bible, and we can ask for God's wisdom. Here's my question to you. Do you ask for God's wisdom in the big decisions and the small ones too? Do you hit the pause button and check in with God and ask for his wisdom? Or do you just assume your response is the best one? There's a Gaelic proverb that says, nothing for the unwilling is easy. Don't be unwilling to turn to God in both the big and small decisions of your life. Proverb 3 says this about wisdom. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything that you do, everywhere that you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Seek God's wisdom every day of your life. Don't try to figure it out on your own, and don't assume you know it all. I would say that's wise advice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to, today to talk about your holy word. I thank you for the wisdom that you give me, the wisdom I have for today, and I ask you for wisdom every day of my life. Lord, I would, give, I would ask you to, to give wisdom to those who are here today, that they would turn to you and ask you for wisdom for everything they do in their lives. I pray for wisdom for the church, Lord, and I also pray for wisdom for our government. They so desperately need it. Lord, we just are grateful for all that you give us, abundance, it's never-ending, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. In your name I pray, amen.